Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series Catechism. At BRCC, we believe that our catechism is a useful tool to help us understand and grow in our faith. But why? Find out in our series, Catechism. Matthew 22 is going to be our text this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew 22, 34 to 40, and discussing the summary of God's law. Matthew chapter 22 is always, the text will be up here on the screen. It's also in the little welcome booklet that you got, along with a discussion guide to help you think through and apply the text a little bit more this week. And uh, you can follow along in your Bible. I definitely encourage you to, uh, to bring your Bible and to do that. And before I begin as well, let me say uh, it was great last week having Ed O'Mara here uh, from Crosspoint. I got to listen to the teaching. He did a, he did a fantastic job uh, feeding us with God's Word. And I want to thank the congregation because before I was even home from Crosspoint, he'd already texted me and said, wow, what a warm, welcoming congregation uh, it is. It's just a pleasure to be able to worship with you guys this morning. So, and I had the same experience at Crosspoint. Uh, it was significantly closer at Crosspoint since it's only a mile from my house. So, uh, so I am working a deal on doing a building swap instead of a pulpit swap. No, I'm just kidding. No. Uh, but thanks to everybody for welcoming Ed. And I pray if you didn't get to listen to teaching, I would encourage you to do that. He did a, a great job serving us and feeding us regarding how God works even in the difficult circumstances of our life to encourage and minister to us so that we can minister to others. So, we're going to look today at Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34, and going to verse 40. So hear now the word of the sovereign God. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments one of the things uh, a tv show that i that i have liked through the years is jeopardy you may remember you know jeopardy's where alex trebek is up front and he asks questions and one of the reasons i like it is because the questions are a lot more difficult than in a lot of other shows you can really kind of test your knowledge but saturday night live a number of years ago did a recurring skit that was a spoof on jeopardy it was one of their versions was celebrity jeopardy where they were really poking fun at celebrities because they would give these ridiculously easy categories some of the categories were sounds that kitties make twinkle twinkle little blank all you had to do is fill in the blank uh, states that end in hampshire what color is green and the funny thing was they could never get any of the questions right they would miss them all they would all the winner would be the one who had the least amount of negative money that was in any of these and i bring this up because sometimes when you're trying to figure out a question and an answer it can be really tough and working on the catechism was that way and when you're discussing god's law exactly what parts do we emphasize or not but this particular question is like Celebrity Jeopardy on Saturday Night Live. It's very, very easy because Jesus already answered the question for us. He gave us the answer. So actually, our question uh, and answer for question 10 in the Catechism is just quoting part of our text this morning. If you notice, question 10 is, can you summarize what God's law commands you to do? And the answer is the the answer that Jesus gave to the lawyer's question. All the law is summarized in these two commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus has told us this, everything hangs on these two. This is the summary of God's law. This is what's the heart and what is most important in God's law. But what we want to talk about is why he picked those two and how we apply that 
in our lives today. Now notice in our text, the Pharisees are coming to test Jesus. This summary of the law is given several times in the Gospels, where on different occasions, on one occasion, Jesus asked somebody else to summarize the law, and they, they gave this same answer. But in this case, what had happened was it's the final week of Jesus, and there's a bunch of people that are testing Jesus. The Sadducees had come, and they had been testing Jesus, and it had culminated in a question about the resurrection. And Jesus sent him home. He packed him up and sent him home. I mean, he, he had really dealt with him, and they were at the end of that. They were like, okay, we're not going to ask this guy any more questions because every time we ask him a question, we come off looking dumber and dumber and dumber. Uh, but the Pharisees, not being the brightest bulbs in the pack, said, well, we're going to step up to the plate. So we think we can. So, so they brought one of their experts in the law, and they're going to test Jesus to see his knowledge. And this is a classic question. If you really wanted to test a teacher of the law back then, this was a common question. What do you think is the most important thing in the law? How, how, would, how would you pick it out? And there have been a variety of answers given. Psalm 15 that I quoted a few weeks ago about who can ascend the hill of the Lord. You've got to have pure hands and a clean heart and you know, swear to your own hurt and still keep your vow. All of that. That was one of the answers. Micah 6, 6 to 8 had been offered, you know, what does the Lord require of you to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And there had been some other answers, but the question is, how was Jesus going to answer the question? And what's interesting is, they're testing Jesus, and he knows that. They're viewing it as a chance to trip him up. Now, that's a futile hope, and it's not very bright, but Jesus actually, besides a test, he sees an opportunity. Because we're going to notice, as he oftentimes does, they ask Jesus one question, but he really wants to shift to what is the more important question and how it really ought to be dealt with. So he's seeing an opportunity to instruct them and us as to how to summarize the whole law, what the law is really, really about. Remember, the Jews had 613 commands their rabbis had counted out of the Old Testament. 613. And Jesus is being asked, pick the most important one, and he's going to actually do even more than that, as we will see. Now, what he does is Jesus summarizes the law of God, and he does it in just two commands. So notice, he tells us that in verse 37, the, the greatest command is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So he's telling us that the most important commandment out of the whole uh, Old Testament is you have to love God fully. Love God with everything in you, heart, soul, mind. In some uh, versions, they have uh, strength is, is in some of the, the Gospels, and it's actually how it was used back in Deuteronomy. But notice, Jesus immediately jumps in and says, and I'm going to give you a second one. You only asked for one, but I'm going to give you two. And here's the second one. You have to love your neighbor as yourself and then he actually even kind of jumps up and says i'm going to do something else for you you asked for one i'm going to give you two you asked for that which is a summary uh or, or which is the greatest commandment in the law i'm going to give you two that actually summarize the entire law and it's not only going to be for the law which is what you asked but i'm telling you the entire old testament the law and the prophets so Jesus has upped the ante three times, as it were, and he says it's the first and second greatest, and the entire law and prophets, all the scriptures that you read and meditate on day by day by day, they hang on a hinge, and there's two hinges on this door. Love God with everything in you, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. The whole Old Testament hangs on on these two commands. So Jesus, as it were, saw the opportunity. He made the question much more difficult. It's not just the greatest command. I'll give you the two greatest. And I'm not just telling you that they're the greatest. I'm telling you that everything else hangs on them. And not just the law, but the law and the prophets. It all hangs. This is what, in our parlance, this is what the whole Old Testament is about. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's how to summarize all the commands in the Old Testament. Now, why does Jesus say this? Well, there's several reasons. First, note that these two commands actually come from the law. The two other things that I mentioned that were really common, Psalm 15 and Micah 6, 
aren't even actually from the law. So if you answered with them, you could be criticized that, well, they're not actually from Torah, which was Genesis through Deuteronomy. But Jesus actually gives us two commands from there. The first one, love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And the second one, love your neighbor as yourself, comes from Leviticus 19, which was actually part of the holiness code. And it has these two. So it actually comes from the law. Secondly, the greatest command that he has picked comes from the Shema. We've mentioned this before. It's called the Shema because the first word in Hebrew is Shema Yisrael, uh, which is hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're here when we do baby dedications, that's how we always begin them, is by quoting from the Shema. And pious Jews repeated this every day. So Jesus isn't picking some obscure command that they're like, I don't even remember hearing that one. He's picking a command and saying, you repeat this every single day. So pay attention because this plus one other summarizes the entire Old uh, Testament commands for us. It's the central creed of your faith. Pay attention and learn because it really is what it's about, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But thirdly, this is also, I remember when I first ran into this, my first thought is you're going to pick one of the Uh, greatest laws of the Old Testament, well, I would go to the Ten Commandments. If you're going to get one of the greatest commands, surely it would be in the Ten Commandments, right? Well, actually, Jesus' answer is a summary of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is broken into two parts. We actually will go over this later in the Catechism, but Catechism question 54 says this. How are the Ten Commandments divided? The Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first teaches what we owe directly to God, And the second teaches what we owe to God in the way we treat our fellow humans. Now, why we say that is, if you notice here, we're going to put a screen up that'll have the command summarized. The first four, or what's oftentimes called the first table of the law, is love God, don't have other gods, no idols or images, do not use God's name in vain, and keep the Sabbath to the Lord. All four of those deal with your love for God. Notice the next table, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie or give false testimony about your neighbor, and don't covet. These all deal about your relationship with other human beings, is what they're all about. So actually, Jesus' two commands, love God and love your neighbor, are the Ten Commandments, just all summarized. And Jesus, of course, told us this is actually the entire Old Testament. Now, let me point out real briefly as you look at these, because sometimes we might wonder, these commands are almost entirely negative. But you need to understand when reading God's law, the negative includes the positive. What I mean by that is, God doesn't say, well, as long as you don't worship other gods, you don't have to worship me. That's not the command. The command is you can't worship other gods, but you must be worshiping me. Okay, the third command, you can't use my name in vain. You must actually honor my name with your words and actions. It's not enough to say, well, I did not murder someone. God says you actually have to not only not do them harm, you have to pray and work for their good. All of these include the positive. So Jesus has taken these which are originally cast as negative and summarized them and said, but they really are positive. The reason you don't have other gods, you don't have idols, you don't blaspheme God's name, and you honor the Sabbath day is because you love God. And the reason you do the next six is because you love your neighbor as yourself. So these two commands get to the heart of what God's law was all about, and they therefore summarized the message of the prophets, which was calling the people back to God's law. We sometimes think that the prophets came along to say, we're going to give you a bunch of prophecies about what's going to happen in the future. That's not what the prophets were there doing. Overwhelmingly, what the prophets were doing is saying, you're supposed to be being faithful to God, you're supposed to be obeying the law, and you're not. And it's what 
scholars sometimes refer to as a covenant lawsuit. We're lawyers. We're bringing God's case against you that you have not been faithful to the law. So the prophets isn't a different message. It's the same message. So Jesus says all of it is summarized in these two. Now, what I want to do is take just a couple of minutes now to unpack then, well, what are these two things telling us to do? What does it mean to love God? And what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourself? First, the foundation of everything is our love for God. Notice Jesus tells us in verses 37 and 38, he was asked what's the greatest commandment, and his first answer, and he tells us it's the first and greatest commandment, is love God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. So you cannot move on to the second commandment until you have set in place the first commandment. The two of them together summarize all the law and the prophets, but that does not mean that they're absolutely equal. The most foundational command is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength because the second command actually flows from and is built upon the first commandment. And what I mean by that is we can't really fulfill the command to love our neighbor as we ought if we are not loving God. And the reason for that is you and I are called to love our neighbors because they bear the image of God. That's why this is the second greatest commandment. We have responsibilities towards animals and plants and the rest of creation, but they don't rise up to this level because none of them are the image of God. But every human being you meet is a bearer of the image of God. And therefore, they are to be loved supremely in creation. We are to love them as much as we love ourselves. But if I'm not loving God, I'm not going to love the image of God. If you undermine the first commandment, just wait a little while, we will stop loving one another. Anyone who casts off the idea of loving God and says it is not important, you can bet there will become tyranny towards other human beings. Because if, if we are not basing our behavior of other humans, the second table of the law, based on loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have no reason to love other human beings. And the moment they get in the way and are inconvenient, which human beings always will become, then you can count on the fact, I will not love them. The anchor that holds it is the first commandment. And let me be clear, to say to love God, Jesus is not saying have a warm feeling in your heart when someone mentions God. To love God is to obey God. John chapter 14, verse 21 puts it this way. He, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And if he loves me, he'll be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and will show myself to him. Jesus says, here's how you can tell who actually loves God. They follow and obey the commands of God. So any idea of love that does not issue in obedience to God's commands is a false love it is not true it is not what god is calling for so there are many today that again they'll take this first and greatest commandment and say oh well i do love jesus with all my heart soul mind and strength but then if you start talking about things jesus actually commands us to do well i don't i don't think that that really applies to me i, I don't think that i need to do that well then whatever warm fuzzy feeling you're working up is actually towards an idol not towards the one true God, because the one true God has commanded we walk this way. So that's the first section is, it's the foundation of everything. The second thing is that we are called to love God with our entire being. We are called to love God with our entire being. When Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and in Mark's gospel, actually has all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's actually four. He's not breaking us down into constituent parts or something like that. He's just saying, 
Whoever you are and whatever you are, whatever it is that makes you up, you need to love God with every fiber of your being. God is so great that a half-hearted love will not do. And what this means is, God is not looking for me to give Him increasing parts of myself and my life. I'm going to try and give Him a little bit of this and a little bit of that. God is looking for all of me and all of my life to be consumed with the passion for Him and to be lived out of my faith in Him. That's what the call is. And so to love God fully means that God, His Word, and His will have the primary place in my life, and they motivate my thoughts, desires, words, and actions. Now, our congregation, you should already be recognizing, do any of us do that? Let's let's be clear, none of us do this, okay? When we're told love God with everything in us, the reason we have the gospel is because you don't do that, and nor do I, okay? But we need to not try and reduce the command and say, well, this just means really, really love God a lot. No, it means love God with everything in you, and nobody other than Jesus has ever done that, okay? On another occasion, a guy came and said to Jesus, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus' question back, I love Jesus, says, why are you calling me good? There's only one who's good, God. And Jesus is challenging the guy, do you recognize who I am? Do you recognize what you're saying? And furthermore, because when he asked the guy, he says, you know, how do you read the law? And the guy starts giving the Ten Commandments. And Jesus says, yes, go do that and live. And the guy foolishly says, well, I've been doing those. Um, Yeah, no, no, you have not been doing those. That's your problem. But see, we have a tendency to think we can. So please understand, if you're reading this and saying, man, I mean, I would like to do that, but then you're understanding and thinking the gospel. Because you might like to do that, but we all fall short. Every one of us fall short constantly. Even those who are regenerated, even those who are given the Holy Spirit, even those who are growing and increasing holiness and love for God, you are still going to fall short in thought, word, and deed and break the law of God. And so am I. And we'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. But that is the call. Second thing, or or the, the third thing actually, and this is we're called to love our neighbor. So Jesus said the foundational thing is loving God and it's love God with everything in you. Then out of that is the call to love our neighbor. So he tells us in Matthew 22, 39, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is saying you can't really understand what it means to love God if you don't understand what it means to love the image of God. Because if you're not loving the image, you're not loving the true God either. So that's why he said you asked me for one, but I have to give you two back. Because if I don't, it can become distorted. In fact, the Pharisees who are giving this Uh, quiz that's one of their problems they're proclaiming to love god they're saying they're keeping the law and jesus tells them on one occasion man you strain out gnats and swallow camels you are tithing on things god said you didn't even need to worry about but you're ignoring things like i don't know love and justice and mercy and jesus actually quotes uh from uh micah at that point so It's important for us to see and understand this. He brings out and says these two hang together. And he's teaching us that a love for God is either false or it is unformed, deformed, if it does not usher in love for my neighbor. Now, one of the men sitting there listening to Jesus say this is the Apostle John. And he later on writes these words in 1 John chapter 4, which is often called the love chapter, uh, 1 John 4, 19 and 20. He says, we love because he first loved us. Greg prayed that this morning. The only reason we can sing a song, please hear this. The last song we sang, Love the Lord Your God with All Your Heart, Soul, Mind, and Strength. It's got a nice little jumpy beat. If it wasn't for God loving you first, that would be singing, judge me, judge me, judge me, because I don't do this, I don't do this, I don't do this. Okay, but we love because he first loved us. But then notice what John says. If anyone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother, he is a what? Liar. Guess what it means if you go back and look in the Greek? 
liar. That's what it means. It means you're saying it and it's not true. There, there's no getting around. John's very blunt here. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. See, love for God issues an obedience to God's commands. It's not some warm feeling you can't see. It changes my actions. And, G- and John here says, and you know what? Love for God issues in love for his image bearers. And if it doesn't, if the visible thing isn't there, don't believe the invisible is there either. You're actually lying about it. So those who claim to love God have to love their fellow humans. It's not enough to do the first part of the Ten Commandments. I don't have other gods. I'm not using images and idols in my worship. I'm, I'm not taking God's name in vain. I'm trying to keep the Sabbath. Jesus says, well, that's all great, but what about the second half of the law? What are you actually doing? And remember, the guy who came and said he was doing all the commandments, Jesus' answer was, well, great, so you've been doing all those, then sell everything you have and give it to the poor. If you've really been doing the second table of the law, then go ahead and give to the poor and love them like you love yourself. And what was the guy's response? Yeah, he goes away sad because, in fact, he's not been doing the second table of the law. And so God says, It's not enough just to do the first and say you love me. It has to usher in law for our neighbor. And if we we have love for our neighbor, that means, let me be clear, it means we honor our parents and other people in authority over us. It means that I don't murder or do harm to them. I don't commit adultery or sexually sin against them. I don't steal, whether through theft or deceit or trickery or fraud. It means that I do not lie about them or slander them or post things on social media that actually aren't true and they didn't say. Or I don't even covet what they have and want that. That's what it looks like. Okay, so now you really should be getting grateful for the gospel. Because, friends, we fall short on this. Okay, and I want to remind you, we've got no excuse for not loving God. He's easy to love. I'm not. If, if, if we're not loving Him, you're not going to love me because I'm going to give you positive reason not to love me to test whether you're really going to love. And you're going to return the favor. That's what we do. Okay, that's what we do. All right, nobody shout amen right now. Okay. So, notice then, Jesus not only tells us to do that, He gives us the command, He gives us the standard. The second command is like, love your neighbor as yourself. Again, not just a warm feeling in the heart, This is what it looks like. You love them as you love yourself. The measure of our love for our neighbor is the amount and the type with which we love ourselves. So the question becomes, if I were in their position, what would I want done for me? Go and do thou likewise. Okay, now, remember, this is where the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan comes from. Notice in the book of Luke, in Luke 10, 25 to 30, the, we have a, an occasion where an expert in the law stands up to test Jesus. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, this is a different occasion than the one we've been reading. This was a burning question. So he asked him that, and Jesus says, uh, what's written in the law? And he says, uh, you know, how do you read it? The guy says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you'll live. Now what the guy should have done is fallen down and said, I need mercy. But he doesn't. Notice the next words. This phrase is so scary, but it is so human. But he wanted to what? Justify himself. Friends, you are either justifying yourself or God is justifying you. You can't have it both ways. And this man wants to justify himself, so he asks Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, what he wants to do is, okay, well, I'm going to try and do this, so if I can narrow down who my neighbor is, and if I can narrow down what that means, what I'm supposed to do for them, then maybe I can do this. So Jesus says, okay, you're being bullheaded. I can keep going down this road. 
let me tell you a story. And it's a story of the Good Samaritan. This is what he goes in and he tells him. And so he, he gives, uh, Jesus gives this story and he's doing this so that God's law can do its work in the man's life. And notice in the parable of the Good Samaritan, how does that answer who is my neighbor? Whoever's in need is my neighbor. Because see, the Samaritan didn't actually live next door to that guy. He didn't even know that guy. He just came up to him and the guy was in dire straits. And Jesus says, that's your neighbor. So the expert in the law is trying to narrow down who the neighbor is. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to throw these doors wide open. This is what the command means. And secondly, notice what he actually does. The, notice that the, uh, in the story, the priest and the Levite, they don't actually do any harm to that man. But they have not kept the law. See, they didn't do positive harm. They didn't help. And Jesus says if you don't help, you violated the second greatest commandment. And therefore, you've actually violated the first great commandment. The door is off its hinges and falling down. The whole thing has fallen apart. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, we all love that little story. We tell our kids that's another oh my moment. And it was told to a man who wanted to justify himself. That's what it's actually told for. And so Jesus is saying, if you're like the priest and the Levite, you are not loving your neighbor, and therefore you're not loving God. Only the Good Samaritan, and you got a picture. If I could put it for evangelicals today, this is like a guy who works in some political lobby that you don't like. Pick whichever side you don't like, or he's a Hollywood. The, the Samaritan, this was a person that was despised. He did, he did not pick who they would pick for the hero. In fact, they would pick the priest or the Levite for the hero. And Jesus made them the bad guys in the story. He picks the despised Samaritan and says, this guy gets it. That's what's going on in the parable here. Now, what all this leads to is the fact that love is a fulfillment of the law. The reason Jesus does this is loves the fulfillment of the law. So notice he concludes, he was asked for one, he gave two, and then he concludes with this statement. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The Apostle Paul, very similarly in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, Paul's just looking at the second commandment. He's looking at the second table of the law. So notice how he quotes from the Ten Commandments. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt, the one you'll never pay off, which is to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. If you love your neighbor, you'll be keeping the Ten Commandments towards them. Notice what he, he lists them here. The commandments, do not commit adultery. That's number seven. Do not murder is number six. Do not steal is number eight. Do not covet is number ten. And whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So it's the same thing. Paul's just pointing out for the second commandment, but Jesus says it's the same for both of them. You can go through and look at the 613 commands. And you can look at all the things the prophets said. But Jesus said, really what you got to do is memorize two of them. If you memorize love God with every fiber of your being and love your neighbor as you love yourself, all the others are just explaining what that looks like in daily life. That's all they're doing. And many of them are for that particular time and place. They wouldn't even really apply directly to us today. But we have commands that would apply to us for loving my neighbor that they didn't have back then because they didn't have some of our technology and ways of doing things. But they nonetheless apply to us. And so if we love God, we'll do as God commands. And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we will always work for their good, not for their harm. Now, what Jesus is telling us in this, as we've been going through the law, and remember, in this part of the law, we're looking at that second use of the law where it's condemning you and I and pointing us to Jesus. Remember this, false religion is about self-justification through rule-keeping. That's that guy that stands up there and says, well, who's my neighbor? 
because he's wanting to justify himself. False religion's about self-justification through rule-keeping. True faith is about gratitude for grace that prompts love for God and neighbor. They're very different from one another. False religion's about self-justification. How do I have just a few I's I can dot and T's I can cross and then I can say I'm good to go and I can go on and ultimately never really deal with it because that's what Jesus said. You guys are, are trying to keep these laws but you're not actually doing what the law is commanding you to do. You're not really loving God as shown by the fact you're about to kill his own son and you're not loving your neighbor. You, you, will, you will squeeze and cheat and rob from them not specifically by the letter of the law, but you're doing what the law is trying to preclude. So how do we apply this? And we will come to the Lord's table as the final application. The first thing, which I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, that should strike you when you read these, is do I see how I fail at these two commands? Do not be that lawyer who says, I want to justify myself. So I'm going to reduce down what it means to love God. I heard someone one time, they were at a Christian leadership convention. This horrifies me. And they asked a leader and they said, what is the gospel? And the person said, the gospel is that I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's like, uh, no, the gospel is that you didn't do that. But Jesus did it in your place. That's the gospel. But this Christian leader had reduced it down somehow in their mind. I really do love God with everything in me. But friends, we don't. If you and I loved God with everything in us, we would not sin. When I sin, I am in that moment. However else I want to slice and dice it, I am preferring something above God. Just as surely as Adam and Eve did in the garden. That's exactly what we're doing. So do I recognize this? We don't keep the individual laws because we don't really keep the law to love. Jesus is telling us, if you really loved God, you wouldn't do these other things. And if you really loved your neighbor, you wouldn't lie about them. But when you do lie about them, it's because you're not really loving them as you ought. Know that it always goes back to the heart. And so, because we don't love God with everything in us, we end up preferring created things over the Creator, and we prefer slavery to sin rather than the freedom of obedience to God and His law. Is that not what we've been doing since the garden? God says, love me, and, and here, I want you to be free, and true freedom for you as my image bearers is obedience to me. And we said, thanks, but no thanks. I would rather go my own way. I will choose the created thing rather than the creator. That is a summary of our problem. And the reason for that, we would not do that if we love God as we ought. That is always, see, it's like a symptom. You know, if I, if I, take some medicine and it's supposed to make me better, but all the symptoms just keep going and going and going and going. What are those symptoms telling me? The underlying problem is still there. They wouldn't be there if the underlying problem had really been cured. When you and I break the individual laws, it's a sure sign we're not loving God as we ought. And our primary focus needs to be on that because that is the spring from which everything else flows now what this means is again the law drives us to despair of justifying ourselves that's why jesus tells that he doesn't do that to be mean to the guy he does it because he loves him and he says you you want to justify yourself then let me describe the law of god to you god's law is to cause us to despair of justifying ourselves and to point us to christ and here is the good news you have not for one day loved God with every fiber of your being and loved your neighbor as yourself. And nor have I for a lot shorter period of time than one day. But Jesus Christ did and has and always will. He loved God supremely in your place. The first reason Jesus went to the cross is not even because he loved you so much. 
The first reason he went to the cross is because he loved the Father so much. And he said, if there's no other way, then I will drink this cup to the dregs because I always do what the Father tells me to do. And the second reason is because I love you as I love myself and I will sacrifice myself for your benefit. That's what the law does for us. And when we see that, it prompts gratitude in me because salvation is not a self-help project because it is far beyond us. I have, I have in recent times, you will be pleased to know if you're a long-term member of this congregation, I have broken tools out on a couple of occasions and fixed things in my house, which is a shocking miracle. I mean, this is almost on the, on the level of raising Lazarus or something, that I use tools and fix something. But that's because these little projects I'm doing are so simple. So Greg Younger will not be offering me a job, correct? (laughs) What you need and what I need is way beyond your ability, friends. You you, you can't work on a self-help project and fix this, and nor can I. But thanks be to God, Jesus Christ is able to fix everything that we have broken. So this command, this summary, the first thing it's meant to do is to cause you to look to Jesus for your justification and not to yourself. Second thing, which is that third use of the law. Remember I mentioned there were three uses. The second one drives us to Jesus. It makes me despair of my own righteousness and look to Him. But there is a third use, which is that it shows me how I was made And it shows me the way that I ought to live and that the Holy Spirit's going to be prompting me to live. And friend, you and I were made for love. You were made. You were stamped. You were created and designed to love God supremely and to love your, your fellow human beings, those who are made in His image. We were made to do this. And what that means, if you think about it, we've got our little things, and actually Dave got them changed today. Uh, I had forgotten we were even going to be changing them back. But remember, we talk about four things that are part of being a disciple. You were created to love God and connect with people. It's not just a few of us, well, that's not my call, brother. Yes, it is. If you're human, it's your call. You were created to love God, and you were created to connect with other people people and true love for my fellow human prompts me to serve them and to reach out to those who do not yet know all of this flows back to the two commandments and what that means is this is not some arbitrary guilt trip that jesus just picked up it's how we were made and therefore it is the path to your own joy If you want to know where joy is found for you, it is found in loving God and loving others. It is not found in creating my own God and turning in on myself and just serving myself. That's never a path to joy. That always saws off the limb of joy that we're sitting on in our own life. And after a while, you're going to come crashing down. There is no way to do it that way. And so, as we get ready to come to the table, I want you to be asking, how is the Holy Spirit working to fulfill these two commands in your life? How is He working first to stir up your love for God? Now one thing He's going to be doing is, He stirs up for you and me to gather with the church to love and worship God each week. Okay? To say I'm loving God, but I don't want to gather with His people Friends, that rings hollow. It's not what God's call for us is. It also means I spend daily time with Him. See, I'm not going to go home this afternoon. Linda and I are going to be leaving and going to a uh, wedding ceremony out west, so we're going to drive for a couple hours. I'm not looking at that and saying, but I spent time with her yesterday. See, I love my wife. I love spending time with her. And it's the same way with God. It's not like tomorrow, i got to read God's Word again. No. It's a joy to be in the Word of God. It's a joy to talk with God because it's what I was made for. And maybe the Holy Spirit is this morning working and revealing to you a particular area where He wants 
you or me to grow in loving obedience for our own good. So be thinking about that as we come to the table. Is there something that the Spirit is prompting and saying, this is an area where you've not been loving me with heart, soul, mind, and strength? And let the Spirit work that way. The same thing with stirring up our love for others. This is why we talk about gathering with the Connect group. We're not meant to live in isolation. We are called to grow in relationship with others, to pray and care for them, and to serve others. This is what what a life of joy looks like. And to whatever extent we're not doing these things, you can bet you are doing things to reduce your own joy. It's it's the way God has designed the world. So love's going to produce concrete actions that I actually get to be with people, know them, and then look for ways to serve them. And maybe the Holy Spirit is revealing a particular person or opportunity in a way that you can serve someone else. It might be at work. It might be a neighbor. It might be somebody that really irritates you. And you don't get along. And if that name just came in, don't rebuke Satan. Okay, don't don't get thee behind me. Hear that, and maybe God is prompting and saying, I want you to love that person, not because you even find them enjoyable or lovable, but because they bear my image. Do we do that? Because that will open the door for us to reach out to others with the good news of Jesus Christ. And trust me, on Judgment Day, the ultimate expression of our love for others is that we are hoping and wanting they will stand before us to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table, and it'll actually be a little bit briefer this morning than it uh, often is. We're going to come to this table where we celebrate the fact that Jesus loved God the Father and loved us and has given himself for the fact that we have not done that. And we're going to receive that love and be stirred up in that, and then we'll conclude by praying and asking the Holy Spirit to apply this to our lives. And I want to remind you, you do not have to be a member of our congregation to come to this table. You do have to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to uh, trust that you can't justify yourself. You're, you're not going to be that lawyer. You're going to say, no, I recognize I, I have not done this and I need the grace and mercy of God. If you believe that, then we encourage you to participate at this table this morning to celebrate the fact that what you did not do, Jesus did in your place and to receive grace and mercy. And also, if you uh, need gluten-free, if you raise your hand, we will bring that to you. For what I received from the Lord... I pass unto you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out so that your sins may be forgiven. Drink from this, all of you, in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bre- you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you that we can come to this table this morning because of the grace and mercy you have shown to us in Jesus Christ. Lord, in coming, we recognize that. In coming, we submit ourselves to you, humbly confessing our sins. Please, by your Holy Spirit, meet us in this sacrament. Fill us with your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy, fresh and new. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. As you get the elements, please hold on to them, and then we will take them together in just two or three minutes. Lord, you are the God of love forever giving and receiving love as the Holy Trinity, and you have made us for love. Our very nature cries out for us to love you above all with every fiber of our being and to love our fellow humans as ourselves. But we confess that we have failed in this call, for we have loved and worshiped created things rather than you, our Creator, And too often, we only love 
those who will love us in return and from whom we expect to receive something back. Thus we have failed, we have broken the two greatest commandments, and in so doing we have broken all the others as well. This morning we ask, forgive us for these sins. For Christ's sake we pray and give his righteousness and love to us. Take and eat. Lord, this is the table of love. For it was out of love that you came and worked salvation for us. You lived a life of love, and in love you laid down your life, dying that we might live. You loved the Father supremely and obeyed, and you loved us and gave yourself for us. So by your life, you kept these two greatest commandments in our place, and by your death, you have washed away all of our sins. For this, we give you thanks, and we lift up the cup of love and salvation in your name. Friends, take and drink. Lord, we have confessed our sin of not loving you or our neighbor as we ought, and we have received fresh and anew your forgiveness. But Lord, we also recognize that the path of love is the path of joy. So we want to grow in love for you and our neighbor. So we ask that the Holy Spirit would produce the fruit of love in us this week. Cause us to turn from things that would drain away our love for you. And let us behold you each day this week. For to see you clearly is to be drawn to your beauty. And open our eyes that like the Good Samaritan we might see the needs of our neighbors and give ourselves to care for them. As we do these things, O oh Lord, I pray you would stir up joy in our hearts and our lives and fill us with the peace and rest of your presence. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. As we do, and I'm going to be doing the benediction, I do want to say if you're here and you say, I'm not really a Christian, and you want to talk about the faith, please see me, and we'll set up a time to get together. I would love nothing better than to talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the good news that it's not about who you are, it's about who he is and what he's done. So receive now the blessing of our God. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May He strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all His holy ones. Go forth blessed and be a blessing. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.